Welcome to the Modern Merriman Podcast with Tom Hicks and John DeVito. Modern Merriman is a podcast in the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. We're hosting a weekly conversation on the law and the gospel so that church leaders and Christian lay people will rightly divide the word of truth. Hey, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, man, it's good to be with you again. <laughs> and uh, last time we were together, we, we started a discussion about uh, neonomianism, and, and you uh, defined that and, and explained that, and we began in our conversation looking at some of the, the problems of uh, neonomianism. So for, for those who uh, didn't listen to that last episode, of course, uh, encourage people to to try and listen to that for some background to today's discussion, but we want to continue considering neonomianism and, and, and move from beyond maybe more of that historical controversy to what it means today, right? And some of the concerns we should have. Right. And so uh, with that in mind, then, would you say there are, uh, are there versions of neonomianism around today? I have not seen an exact reproduction of neonomianism in its classic form. So, to be very clear, the original version of neonomianism, I don't think it exists right now as far as I've seen. But, Mm. you know, neonomianism at its core is an issue of the human heart. Mm. And so, it's going to cut across all time. And so, because of sin, versions of neonomianism are alive and well. They're not exactly like the historic version we articulated in the last episode, but there are great similarities. So, I'm just going to list a few. Uh, the Anglican new perspective on Paul is a neonomian doctrine. Mm. N.T. Wright denies the imputation of Christ's righteousness and insists that justification on the last day is by personal faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, the Presbyterian federal vision is also a version of neonomianism. Norman Shepard, who's the father of federal visionism, denies the imputation of Christ's active obedience and teaches justification by covenantal faithfulness. Uh, on the last day. And he also taught you could lose your justification. So Mm -hmm. lots of similarities with neonomianism there. Dan Fuller is a Baptist who teaches a version of neonomianism. He denies the imputation of Christ's righteousness for justification and insists that we're justified by a humble, dependent faith upon the Lord Jesus. That as we continue to remain under his grace by faith and receive his grace by trusting in him that we are maintaining a state of justification. And Dan Fuller teaches you can lose your justification as well. So it's not one tradition that you find this in. This this mm. neonomianism cuts across traditions. Um, so well, you could probably even see it more broadly, uh, as you know, the, 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 as you say, because of the fallenness in the human heart. And and that's right. Uh, it's we're gonna there, there's gonna be I assume other kinds maybe more broadly right oh but absolutely there it's it's it is more it is much more broadly than just mm-hmm. those so for example uh i'll just mention a few of those first there's a in terms of theology there's a modified kind of neonomianism which says that while we're justified on the ground of christ's imputed righteousness so they'll say okay the reformed doctrine is right you know we we need the alien righteousness of Jesus for the ground of our justification. Um, Yet, we need faith and the obedience of faith to be co-means of our justification. So, you know, in justification, you have the verdict of justification, you have the ground of justification, you have the means of justification. And this version of 
neonomianisms think they have escaped the problem of classic neonomianism by moving the role of our obedience in justification from the ground of justification, which is where Richard Baxter had it, to being just the means of justification. And they think they've um, they think they've fixed the problem there, but the result is the same as classical neonomianism. You still have to work to maintain your justification. Your faithful obedience is still required for your righteous verdict before God. So at a practical level, it's the same thing. It also raises a question, and I think is actually an inferior version to the classical neonomianism, because it's, it's like, why are these imperfect works even a means? What are they doing? We know why faith is a means of justification. Faith is like an empty hand that receives Christ for our justification. So that makes sense for faith to be an instrument or means of justification. But why are imperfect, faithful, good works a necessary means of justification if Christ has already satisfied God's justice fully? It, seem, it would seem to be a redundancy and unnecessary. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, the reformers would speak of faith alone as just theological shorthand for, uh, the, uh, for Christ alone. That the reason we're justified by faith alone is because Christ alone is the sole and whole ground of our justification, filling up all of God's justice uh, for us. So there's no room for our works anywhere. Jesus has already filled it up. So some there are some versions, and I won't, I mean, there, we could maybe get into names and things, but this is actually kind of common to start slipping in works uh, in, mm -hmm. in the verdict of justification, but uh, denying that it's a ground. So uh, that's one thing. There's a second uh, kind of practical neonomianism. So I would suggest, I would say, practical neonomianism teaches something like this. They say, if you faithfully keep God's law under grace, then you will build God's kingdom and obtain more and more eternal life as a result of your obedience. Hmm. So uh, some would say, if we work hard to keep God's law and insist that others keep God's law, then we can literally build the new Jerusalem and approximate the final state even before Christ returns. And I find, I think this usually produces a caustic spirit that's determined to conquer culture, a vision of manhood that's bullish and coercive and triumphalistic. Um, mm. I've even heard people say that if parents are faithful to God's law, if they faithfully parent, they do what they're supposed to do as parents, and God promises to save their children mm. and will give them happy marriages if they're mm. faithful and give them health and even wealth and give them a good life in this world. And so do you see how the spirit of neonomianism is I can work for life, that my works will give me the life that will satisfy me. Hmm. When orthodoxy says Christ is the life that satisfies hmm. you, not you, not your works, not anything you can achieve or build in this world. Christ is your life personally. Yes. God is your life. I mean, this is old. This isn't just Reformed Protestant theology. You go back to Augustine. That's what he taught too. Mm -hmm. God alone. The heart is restless until it finds its rest in him. So God alone is life. God in the face of Christ by his spirit. Mm -hmm. So there's a practical kind of neonomianism that has cropped up even in the Reformed community. Even if so, it may not be the the crass prosperity gospel that you know we would all rightly condemn, right? Right, that's uh, right. And 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 yet there there is that desire of the human heart in in many ways, a sinful human heart for 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 a prosperity. Yeah, 
in, in this, this world. This thought that I can achieve it by my works if I just mm-hmm. do what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Instead of realizing you live in a broken world and even if you obey, it might get worse. Mm. This Your temporal experience might be worse through your obedience. You might suffer. There might bring, there, there will, you could provoke persecutions by your obedience, but Christ is your life. Mm-hmm. He is your life. Not, not, it's not achieved through your works. So yeah, I think there's a practical kind of neo-nominism, but there's one more. I would suggest okay. there's a doc, there's a th- thirdly, there's a doctrinal pride kind of neo-nominism. Mm. So some behave as though their doctrinal rightness makes them right with God and almost gives them a right to condemn and heap scorn upon those who differ from them theologically. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this, you know, this this notion that if our doctrine is our rightness, you know, <laughs> and we are right and we have right doctrine, then of course we're better than other people and we can hold them in derision. And, and, and our goal then isn't to summon them to Christ or to his loveliness or to his mercy or to see his beauty, his glory and the goodness of his law and, and his all sufficiency. Instead, if, if we're doctrinal neonomians, then our goal will be to argue people into having right doctrine so they can have acceptable views like we do, hmm. you know, so I can mm-hmm. convert them to my position and now they can be right. Like I'm right, you know, and, and all of that, all of it is working for our acceptance before God. It's all thinking that our either our intellectual work, our work in you know, in our callings in the world, or you know, is all achieving uh, what makes us right and acceptable before God and men. You also see uh, some people um, buying in elements of neonomianism out of uh, out of a. Um, concern over uh antinomianism right like yes in uh, fact, and, right. It, but it actually winds up having them fall in the in in another kind of antinomian ditch in a way that's right exactly right yeah and and so that's that's such a uh sometimes when we become so concerned rightly concerned of a theological error you know a uh, uh neglect or a wrong neglect of the the law of god as as a proper guidance towards you know, our, our holiness and, and mm-hmm. sanctification winds up then robbing Christ of his, his glory and in, in, in the gospel of its grace uh, in, in the process here. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And that, that's a very typical thing. In fact, originally, or, well, you know, when the, the term was coined back in the 1600s, neonomianism, it was a reaction to antinomianism. Mm. Richard Baxter was reacting to the antinomian excesses that he found in Oliver Cromwell's army by Mm -hmm. a bunch of soldiers who claimed, well, I have the righteousness of Jesus. I don't have to do anything else. You know, Mm. my sin isn't mine. It's Christ's sin. He's the sinner, not me. And he, you know, he died for it all. So that's the kind of speech he would run into. So he, Baxter really hated the Orthodox Reformed doctrine of justification, he was quite explicit about it and believed Mm -hmm. that it was the root of antinomianism. And the only solution was to say we're justified by our works Mm -hmm. on the ground of our imperfect works. Mm -hmm. So I think you're right. But actually, as you said, if you adopt a, a view that says that your imperfect works contribute to your justification, to your right to life, to, uh, to your life in Christ, uh, that they're achieving that, then what you're really doing 
is lowering the actual standard of the law and you are yourself an antinomian because all mm-hmm. of your best works on your best day can never achieve life. Jesus right. is life. Right. So, yeah. So then how would you respond to neonomianism in terms of, you know, their, their theological positions in terms of, you know, theologically responding, you know, biblically responding to, to their arguments? Yeah, well, I would, I would start off by saying theologically, think of what, ant, what neonomianism is doing. It is undermining both the law and the gospel. Mm. It undermines the law by turning the law into a soft standard for justification. And it undermines the gospel by adding our works to Christ for our justification. Mm -hmm. So, what you get is this blend of law and gospel that is neither law nor gospel. Mm. It's failing to distinguish between law and gospel. The true law and gospel distinction is about two different ways to be justified and to have the right and title to life. And in the proper biblical distinction, the law as a covenant, requires you to be perfectly obedient for your justification. The gospel, as a, as a pure promise, promises you that Christ was perfectly obedient to the law for you, for your justification. And so, under law, you work for your justification. Under gospel, Christ works for your justification. That's the proper law-gospel distinction, uh, and, it's, and it's seated in the doctrine of justification. So that's the theological critique of neonomianism. It collapses law and gospel. Mm-hmm. But uh, practically, the problem has to do with an understanding of Jesus, mm-hmm. that neonomians do not see the beauty and all-sufficiency of Christ to satisfy for their sins and save them to the uttermost. And so they don't love Christ personally because they don't understand his great love. Mm. And that's what the Bible teaches us. We love because he first loved us. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Mm. So if, if you know that Jesus has canceled your debts that he has freely and graciously given you his righteousness, then you will love him and you'll love other people. Mm. And you'll want to draw near to Christ, to commune with him, and to repent and learn how to keep on repenting for the rest of your life. You won't be focused on trying to obey God so you can be accepted or justified. Mm. That's very Mm. proud. It's self-focused. You won't be focused on trying to achieve your life or justification or glory for yourself by your works. That's remarkably self-focused and proud. Instead, you'll be humbled. And you'll be filled with joy and gratitude, not perfectly, but truly and more and more as you know the Lord Jesus, because he's already given everything to you. You'll live upon Christ's righteousness, not for it, but from it, mm-hmm. because he's, ar- he's already given it, given you life eternal as a gift. And all of his graces will lead you to love him and love others because of his mm-hmm. great love for you. It'll make you more forgiving, more patient. It'll make you full of the fruit of the spirit. The more you see Jesus and all that he is as true God and true man, as love incarnate, as absolute authority and humility, and as one who has accomplished all of the requirements of the law for you, and and then yokes you to himself to teach you how to walk as he walked. So, yeah. that's the practical problem, I think. Well, and of course, you know, I'm, I'm sure we could 
uh, bring up a lot of scripture too, right? That that mm -hmm. would refute this understanding. I mean, this is just so contrary to a right reading <laughs> of of the Word of God. Uh, do you mind sharing with us maybe a little bit to, of uh, scripture that that you found helpful in in thinking through this? Yeah, well, neonomianism teaches that people can be righteous by their imperfect obedience to God's law. But listen to what God's word says in Ecclesiastes seven twenty. It says, there is not a righteous man on earth. Mm -hmm. And then it defines righteousness like this, who does good and never sins. Hmm. So absolute righteousness means doing good and never sinning. It's not that neonomian notion that you, as long as you try hard and repent and be covenantally faithful, no, there's not a single righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Mm-hmm. That's the strict sense of righteousness in the Bible, the absolute justice that's there. Also, Job 15, 14 says, what is man that he can be pure or who is born of a woman that he can be righteous? Mm -hmm. And here again, it's all mankind. This isn't just unbelievers. It's it's anyone. We have to banish any thought of being absolutely in God, righteous in God's sight through our works. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. Uh, we need an alien righteousness for that. Psalm 143 verse 2 says, no one living is righteous before you. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say no unbelievers are righteous. Mm. No one living is righteous. That means believers are not righteous in the strict sense of the word. We don't have sufficient inherent righteousness for justification. That's the point. Mm -hmm. So, uh, God's word is not antinomian like neonomianism is. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't relax the standard of God's law in the least for mm. strict righteousness. Uh, the Bible teaches that obedience to the law can never lead to righteousness, which is why we need yeah. Jesus. And there's passages that teach this. Mm -hmm. Galatians 3, 21 and 22 says, if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. What does that imply? That a law was not given that could give life. Mm -hmm. There has never been a law given that could give life by your obedience. Because if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But then it says, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Mm. Galatians 2.21 is also very strong says something similar. Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Boy, that's strong. That if you're justified through your obedience to the law, perfectly or imperfectly, then Jesus died for no purpose. Mm. That's how serious neonomianism is. It undermines the very reason for Christ's death. And they even admit it in their formal forms because they say Jesus didn't really have to come. It was just a, a judicial, a wise judicial act or a, a, a governmental act for God to send his son, Jesus. Hmm. God could just cancel your debts. Now, but couldn't uh, those holding the neonomianism twist or distort Galatians 3 uh, regarding, say, the covenant of works? I mean, yeah, if a law had been given that could give life, right? Well, there there was in the in in the garden um, a law that was given that um, that it again um, promised 
life mm-hmm. through obedience, right? Well, and so sometimes the reason I raise this is they might appeal to that and argue then for the need for grace uh, in the covenant of works and start confusing these categories, right? Well, that's for sure. They, they could do that. Uh, but Galatians 3 is actually not about merely the original covenant of works. If mm-hmm. you look at the context of Galatians 3, it's the whole old covenant law. Mm-hmm. That's what it's talking about. Right. Um, so no law has ever been given that could give life. Now, obviously, if you go back to Adam, hypothetically, Adam could have obeyed and, and obtained life. And Jesus, of course, obtained life. But that's not what this is talking about. Right. This exactly. Is, exactly. This is it's a about, distortion. Of that's right. This. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Also, the Bible teaches it. That righteousness is a free gift which comes to us from Jesus and doesn't mm-hmm. come from our own obedience to the law. Amen. So Romans 5.17 says, if because of the one man's trespass, that's Adam's sin, if because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, the free mm-hmm. gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So how do we have life? How do we reign in in life? By working hard to conquer the world for Jesus? No, we reign in life through a free gift of righteousness mm-hmm. through the one man, Jesus Christ. So righteousness doesn't come through our works or faithful strivings. It's a free gift. That's what the Bible teaches. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Mm-hmm. And that's the great exchange. Jesus takes the guilt of our sins to himself on the cross, but then he gives us his righteousness as a free gift through faith. Mm-hmm. Philippians 3.9. So we're considering that righteousness is a gift. It's not achieved through our obedience. It's a gift. Philippians 3.9. Paul says that he trusts in Christ that he might, quote, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which come comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So where does our righteousness come from? Not from our own obedience or best efforts to keep the law. It's extremely clear. It comes as a gift of God through faith. Mm-hmm. Now, if God gives us the righteousness of Christ as a free gift, what is the only fitting instrument by which we may receive that righteousness? Well, the Bible's clear. The justification before God is by faith alone and not by works of any kind. Faith alone is the means and instrument of our justification. And this is what the Bible teaches. Uh, Galatians 2.16 says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Hmm. And then Romans 3.28 says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And then Romans 4 verses 5 and 6 says, and to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness, mm. just as David also speaks of the blessing uh, of, of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And so that's a really amazing text, yeah. which says, who's justified? Only the one who doesn't work for it. Mm. Who's justified? The godly, right? 
surely the godly are justified. No, only the ungodly are justified. Mm-hmm. Only those who don't work. They're the ones whose faith is counted as righteousness. And what does this mean? Well, David speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness or imputes righteousness apart from works at all. This mm-hmm. is the gospel. Amen. And this is what neonomianism uh, totally distorts and destroys, actually. So, what would you do then, just to play a devil's advocate here for a moment, uh, with uh, Hebrews twelve fourteen, uh, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Uh, do we have to attain then this uh, holiness in order to uh, see the Lord and, and have the eternal life that that uh, he he promises? How would you respond to to that reading of uh, Hebrews? Yeah, well, there is there is certainly a striving that should take place in the Christian life. Mm-hmm. So there is effort that is required. There is discipline. There is uh, clearly work to be done as a believer, work to love God and to love men. But what we've been saying on this episode and what the Orthodox Reformed always said is that striving and that work is never, ever part of our justification. Mm-hmm. It's not the ground and it's not the means of our justification. Mm-hmm. Rather, that striving for holiness is to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus to be conformed to his likeness. And then it says, without which none will see the Lord. And here's why. Because the grace of sanctification, the grace of regeneration and the grace of sanctification precedes the grace of heaven. Mm. If you're not sanctified, you won't go to heaven. Why? Because God dispenses his graces in an order. Yes. He, he regenerates you. You're converted. You know, you're justified by faith alone. You're sanctified and you persevere. And only then you go to heaven. And so if you do not strive for peace with everyone and for the, uh, the holiness that God uh, commands of us, then you won't see, you won't see him. Amen. Well, that, and that, has, know, that has nothing to do, though, with our right standing, our righteous standing before Him. Absolutely, and uh, I've just I've often heard that text, uh, that verse used in in these kinds of discussions, right? To try mm-hmm. to to bring in that, but you know, even thinking of, of course, those classic texts, uh, Ephesians two, uh, you know, uh, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then verse 10, uh, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand exactly. that we should walk in them. So, yeah. so there is a holiness that we will do. Uh, and must do. And must do. Mm-hmm. As Christians. As Christians. Uh, we don't deny that, right? But, but what we're talking about here is our justification That's right. before God, our right, right standing before God, uh, which is we just read uh not a, it, it is the gift of god not of works uh and and so we need to keep this 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 very uh discussion we're having is is why what makes the gospel so precious and and why uh we cannot look to ourselves and what we do in, in order to have this right standing before god and this glorious life that we receive is coming freely through his Amen. grace. Yeah. Well, one other thing that they do, we're bringing up texts that people would use against 
you know, this position that justification is by faith alone is, of course, they would raise James chapter 2, and they would say, well, look, James chapter 2 says in verse 21, uh, it says, or verse 24, it says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Mm. They point that out and they say, that contradicts everything you said. Well, well, then you got to say, first of all, does the Bible contradict itself? Because it says one thing here, one thing there. And so some people come along and they try to synthesize these passages by saying that Paul and James mean the same thing by justification. Paul is only talking about the beginning of our justification. James is talking about the completion of our justification. But if you read the texts in context, I don't think you can say that at all. In fact, I would mm-hmm. commend Calvin's exegesis to you on this and any really of the Orthodox Reformed who who would say, if you study James 2, what you find is that James is talking about the demonstration of your mm-hmm. faith by your works. Right. And and because he says, like back in verse 18, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith. So there's this idea of showing or demonstrating all through it, verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his, uh, with his works. And then verse 24, you see, this is really important. Verse 24 says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And so Calvin says, this is not talking about uh, the constitutive justification before God and mm-hmm. his perfect law of justice. This is talking about the demonstration of our righteousness or the vindication of our faith by works before men. So, it's the display of our works. Mm. Amen. Well, that's that's really helpful, uh, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity to discuss neonomianism with you here today. And want to thank everyone for listening to the Modern Merriman podcast, the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. If you'd like to know more about CBTS, please visit us online at cbtseminary.org. That's cbtseminary.org.